We've reached the halfway point in the season. A lot more is being set up, more seeds being planted, and I get the feeling that the latter half of the season will be full of resolution, as many of these seeds grow into plot... trees? I don't know. Hopefully not plot weeds, though. So welcome again to another episode of History of Westeros Podcast, a podcast dedicated to George R. R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire book series, as well as HBO's Game of Thrones. Of course, we will not be talking at all about George R. R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire book series. We will be talking about HBO's Game of Thrones exclusively. There may be the occasional mention of the books, but it will be a shallow reference, nothing spoilery, only to draw comparisons or to point out something interesting, but as I said, no spoilers. So welcome again, Sean, thanks for coming back. Good um, to be here. We've got a lot to cover, maybe a little less than usual, but there's always plenty to talk about and we can always look ahead and make predictions when we don't have the same analysis to make. Um, I think we're on, on the cusp, though, of a lot of major things happening. There's a lot of build-up, which means a lot of potential for exciting resolution once this build-up peaks into major things happening. So surely some of these things will carry over to next season, but the pattern seems to be from past seasons that the bigger events happen towards the end of the season. There's, there's plenty of major deaths and things like that in the early in the season, like Joffrey and Robert and oh, Barristan. But most of these, most of the major things, major deaths happen later in the season. All the Neds and Reds, Lord Eddard being the Ned, the Red Wedding, the Red Viper. These things happen later. So, I did also read interesting note here that I didn't fully verify it, but I believe it's accurate that this is only the fourth episode of the entire series that doesn't have King's Landing. The other three episodes would be the Battle at the Wall. The Reigns of Castamere, a.k.a. the Red Wedding that we just mentioned. And from Season 1, the King's Road episode, which if I remember correctly is the episode with the Butcher's Boy and the death of, of Sansa's direwolf lady. Now, after the credits, we're going to discuss the next on, meaning what's coming up in the, from the trailers. Uh, we're going to save all that discussion till the end, like I said, till after the credits. This way, people who want to hear us dissect such things will get their fill and those who do not want to be spoiled on such things will have an easy way to avoid all the chatter on it. A quick announcement before we get started. Tower of the Hand's new book, A Hymn for Spring, features an essay by Ashea and myself. You could go ahead and check that out. You can go to our website, historyofwestros.com, and there's a link in the right sidebar that says A Hymn for Spring. You can order it and support the show and entertain yourself with some great essays. So check that out if you get the chance. Is, he, is that a uh, spoiler-free? Like, could I read that, or uh, should I steer clear? You should steer clear. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's really for, that's a good question. That's really for book readers only. It's a very, very deep analysis. Some of the essays would not be spoilery, but some would. And I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head which ones to avoid and which ones not. Let's start at the wall. We have Maester Aemon and Sam, and Aemon again with John. So we find out that the wall has learned of the existence of Danny and her dragons. The wall being remote means that if news is spread there, it's probably spread all around. We're finally seeing this big news hit Westeros in, in a lot of places. Do you, what do you think about general reactions to that? What do you think people are going to think about dragons and this last Targaryen and all this stuff? I can imagine there not being too much of a reaction that probably should be and maybe some people will but <laughs> a the wall has already been witness to some fantastic stuff and it's more in their face like yeah sure dragons other side of the world whatever we got zombies next door you know <laughs> and we've seen people on king's landing be presented with this type of information just blow it off like it's nothing so Ty tywin right joffrey going went to tywin that was a great scene you remember when joffrey's on the throne and tywin comes in and talks it was a couple of seasons ago but it was one of the highlight scenes of the series to me 
and you know Joffrey's kind of whining at Tywin, and Tywin, you know, so oh, we can have you carried. You remember that that bit, right? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that was a point Joffrey made, like this Targaryen girl, she's got dragons, and Tywin's like, yeah. Look, we got dragon skulls all over this place. I'm not worried about that. You know, he blew it off. And Tyrion warned the, the council about word from the wall with zombies coming. And they were like, zombies, come on, Tyrion. Tyrion, I kind of shut up. He was afraid to lose face even a good mentioning it, you know. So <laughs> I can imagine the people at the wall, specifically, and maybe other people, don't, don't think too much of it. You know, it's not in their face enough. It doesn't affect their day-to-day life. I mean, they might regret it later on, but my guess is it won't have a, a big impact on many characters. Yeah, it is not exactly crazy to think that someone that far away won't have an impact on their lives, even though she has dragons and, and potentially an army. She is really, really far away, and there's no sign at this point of her coming to Westeros, so it's true. It'd be like, oh, well, that's interesting, but why the, should I worry about it? The news even came with, but she's barely holding on to the city, you know? With... That's true. It doesn't make her sound like she's a threat. It makes her sound like she's in trouble, as yeah. Aemon says, all by herself a Targaryen, you know, alone and all this. So that's that's kind of interesting. Now, of course, there was a very subtle reference there. When we talked last week about John's parentage and some of the hints that have been dropped, it was very interesting that there was a little bit more about this in this scene. It was very sneaky, though. Aemon says, what a terrible thing for a Targaryen to be alone in the world. And then the camera just... John comes in and it's right on him immediately. Focus shifted from Amon yeah. to John in the foreground to John in the background. If you were really keyed into either that mystery, you noticed that. Or if you're keyed into to camera angles, like if you're a real a movie critic type, someone who's really no, uh, observant of the way the cameras are working, you probably noticed that. And good catch if you did. So I wonder if they're going to be making other sneaky references like that coming going forward. It makes me wonder if they've made others that I didn't pick up on. You know, <laughs> yeah, how many right? times in the past little things like that have happened. Because uh, I think they often do a good job with the cuts from one scene to the next. There's often some connection or meaning to why they place the order of scenes as they do. Yeah. And we sometimes don't discuss those things as clearly because we like to break things down by location to keep from jumping around from topic to topic. But occasionally by doing that, we do miss some of those subtleties by how they do scene changes. We try to bring them back and discuss them because we notice them too, but that does occasionally get lost. Sometimes it gets lost in their own editing process too. I remember one time we watched one of the episodes with commentary by the director and uh, she pointed out that there were certain scenes that she had directed for this episode that got placed in a different one. And by certain scenes, she so didn't direct it, got edited fit. into this one. And uh, so I think oftentimes they do a good job with it, but I can also understand a million different reasons why in the production process, some things get lost. Yeah, it's not intended. like a book where you can just move a chapter around or move a section from here to there. It's it's different with a TV show, because especially because you have different directors and writers writing each episode. So moving one scene to a different episode can cause an interesting re- reaction from the fan and think, oh, this writer wrote that? Well, no, actually, that writer didn't write that. A different writer mm-hmm. wrote that. That's especially confusing for, in the past, this season, George R. R. Martin didn't write a- an episode, but he did for all the other four seasons. And that even has happened with his episodes. You say, oh, George wrote that scene? Well, not necessarily. He wrote that episode, but some of those scenes might have been 
you know, written for another episode originally, and then they had to shift things around. So it's a little hard to keep track of. So basically the point there is I wouldn't assume that every scene in every episode was actually written by the credited writer. <laughs> so it's I also wouldn't necessarily say it's bad either. Uh, no, it's it, not. It, uh, certainly it can be sometimes, but I think that filmmaking is uh, a group effort. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's all sorts of different talent. The person who wrote the episode isn't as good an editor as the person who edited the episode. You know what I mean? They, yeah. they, all the different people have their different strengths and talents, and it all comes together to make this show. And That's true. It might not be exactly what I want or what any one writer wanted, but it's it's a group effort, and I think they're doing a pretty good job with it. So. And that's a big difference between a book where it's almost all, you know, the, the book process is 99% George R. R. Martin, and then there's 1% is his editors and publishers yeah. that have some input. Because an, an author with clout like George R. R. Martin does not have to accept edits. You know, they say, I think we should do this. He's like, no, I don't want to change that. And they're like, okay, George, have it your way. They're not going to force yeah. him. A lesser writer they may push a little heavier on, but no, they're not going to do that to George. So we have a scene with Sam and Gilly. She asks a funny question. Is this every book there is? <laughs> and he says, this library is small, actually. And talks about, you know, how he wanted to be a maester and all these other things. And that's kind of neat. We get a little insight into his father. Stannis comes into the room and, and Gilly flees. Quickly left. I thought <laughs> yeah. it was odd how quickly she got out of there. Did you do you have any thoughts uh, on why she left so quickly or what? The best I've got is that there is such disparity in their positions. She's inbred wildling girl. You know what I mean? She, and this is the king of Westeros. You know, I can imagine like if Obama walked into the room when, you know, someone is not even like a servant in the house, just a guest in the house was, you know, <laughs> you like a, like foreign, Obama to feel a <laughs> foreign guest in a house where Obama walked in. The, the guest might feel like, oh, I shouldn't be in here right now, you know. <laughs> uh, and it, there might be some legitimate fear that's been put into her. She hasn't exactly been treated well by Stannis's wife, for example. She kind of hushed her out of there, separated her from Solis, you know. Obama also worships the Red God. <laughs> Um, so, Stannis also brings up uh, Sam's father, Randall, mentions that he's a good soldier, he's the only one who was able to defeat Robert in battle. And Stannis mentions that, you know, has to throw in a jibe there against Robert. He's like, I told him not to go that far west, and, and you know, <laughs> well, but he never listened to me. Uh, so, but we, but we get another side of Stannis's good leadership, his good leadership qualities, where he's kind of doing the right things. I'm, uh, you pointed out some things that you like about Stannis. You've mentioned that you're a, a bit of a Stannis fan, if not a big Stannis fan. I have to think you like the scene and the way he appreciated yeah. the way the research and all that, and the way he supported that. I also wonder, you know, how far the show is going to go, how realistic it is. Maybe Sam will be a meister. Amon, correct me if I'm wrong, did Amon Targaryen... He, did, he started off as a meister and then ended up at the wall? Or did he go well, to the wall still, and end up being a meister? He's still a meister. He, he, he's a, he became a meister before going to the wall. He became a meister okay. pretty young. And he went to the wall because he didn't want his brother to be his brother's reign to be threatened by he didn't want there to be conflict over bloodlines or whatever right yeah so at the wall he could still be a meister but not have the right because his brother was not actually was not didn't the crown didn't just come to him it was decided it should go to him because there was a bit of there was a succession problem and aemon was older than his brother but was already a maester but there's ways of letting people out of their vows etc etc so he didn't want to so he took double vows man if only there was some way that uh there was a way for John to get out of his vows. <laughs> if only, huh? <laughs> so another question I have for you, Sean. I like, first of all, I think his line, keep reading, is 
a funny funny nod to book readers because that's yeah, what yeah. George, that's what George R. R. Martin always used to say to people who asked him questions that were he shouldn't they shouldn't ask. He'd be like, "Who's John's parents?" and George would be like, "Keep reading." You know, he's like, "I'm not going to answer that question." <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "Come on. Ask a real ask a legitimate question." But another thing that gets mentioned in this series or in this scene rather is the children of the forest. They've been mentioned, they've been there's been references to them peppered throughout the series here and there a little bit thing. This is apparently a bigger connection. The Children of the Forest. It sounds like they have some, maybe some answers, or had some answers to how to deal with the others, because they're an ancient race. The others are an ancient race. I don't know if you've given the, the children much thought, but uh, they've been mentioned a few times, and I've never asked you that, so maybe this would be a good time for you to... Uh, I haven't given it a whole lot of thought. I, it was, I was vaguely aware of you know, them as an ancient race, and they were kind of thrust in our face uh, with the scene with Braun last season. But uh, there were so many other questions and <laughs> so many other things happening there. Uh, clearly still alive, but yeah. yeah, not many of them apparently. <clears throat> and I, I wonder, however many are alive, how much documentation there is, how much literature they have. You know, is there something for Sam to even read about them that could be a clue? Maybe Sam needs to take a trip to Old Town, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, there, I, I There's a lot of talk about Old Town. I didn't quite <laughs> finish that thought a second ago, but could Sam become a, a maester still? Is he... Is it... I feel like they might be setting that up. John maybe is kind of young to be Lord Commander, but he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how the Maester's chosen. Is it a vote? Is it an appointment by the King? Is it an appointment by the Lord Commander? Like if John could just, if Amon dies, which they seem to be hinting at, could John just anoint Sam? Uh, does he have to go through some process? John cannot title him Maester. He has to get his Maester's chain from the Citadel. Okay, but he would. As since since Sam is already a brother of the Night's Watch, they wouldn't quibble over. I think technically they might have the right to appoint a different maester there, but they couldn't force someone to take the Night's Watch vows. I don't suppose this would be a problem. They would simply train Sam or whatever, assuming he's capable, which I imagine he is, and then he would return with his chain and be an official maester. Maybe have it as a temporary position too, like Alistair Thorne was a temporary acting Lord Commander for a while, right? Yeah, exactly. So the only question is, is there time for that? When are the others coming? The White Walkers, rather. It's the thing. For show watchers, the others is what they're called in the books, just to be clear. They're not usually... The White Walkers is sort of a nickname, but they're officially the White Walkers in the show. Sometimes I say others just because it's an old habit. Just, just When I say the others, I mean the White Walkers. So, I think it would be so awesome if they got, a, I don't remember the actor's name, but Ben from Lost, if he was one <laughs> he of the White Walkers. <laughs> that would be funny. So, And that is, by the way, folks who don't know, if you hadn't heard that before, that is one of the main reasons they didn't want to call them the Others, because there was already the yeah. Others on Lost, and that was they didn't want to duplicate that. It would feel like maybe they were ripping that off, even though <laughs> Game of Thrones has been around a lot before, <laughs> long before Lost. But still, good thing to not be too confusing. And White Walkers is a lot more descriptive, I suppose. I don't really have a preference on the names myself. I'm just used to one of them. So basically, though, yeah, we're, we're, we're faced with this potential or oncoming threat that John talks about a lot in this episode and that Stannis is certainly aware of and wants to deal with. The only question is the timing. When will it happen? Will they be ready for it when it happens? Or, or will the struggles in the realm uh, or Sam's knowledge, will, will it not be far enough along? Will they be able to learn things in time? It's very interesting. It's kind of a technology race. They're racing against the clock, so to speak, of the onset of winter. Can Will they be able to do all these things before winter has come? 
ongoing tense situation that is kind of a cast a shadow over the whole series I think is very interesting and very compelling so yeah we'll, we'll have to see if the children play any more roles since we know they exist it seems hard to imagine that they won't do anything there's got to be doing something but as far as predicting what yeah who knows we'll have to see but it's certainly it's, it's clear that they have power and that they will do something so John and Tormund Tormund here on my chest as always represent he the talk of unity was very strong there was a lot of staring down in this in this scene they were like fixed on each other's eyes like I'm not backing down I'm not backing down okay let's make a deal <laughs> Tormund was really a large man too he seemed mm. to just menace over John just like a big head his <laughs> eyes are really intense yeah. and his beard is very large and he is very large yep he's a good he's a good casting for that role yeah. So what do you think, though? This is interesting. Tormund convinces John that he needs to go with him. Is that a setup, or was that... I mean, it was a pretty good argument. Was it just a clever... Did he take the opportunity of a good common-sense argument to set up John, or do you think Tormund is legitimately concerned about his people and is going to take this opportunity for what it is, or do you think he has something else in mind? I was assuming that Tormund was uh, genuine, in fact, I, the whole time I felt like, why didn't Mance see it? That How did this conversation is going so much better <laughs> than the prior conversations have? Uh, yeah. And I... Maybe I, because Tormund saw Mance get burned, it was like, all right, I better be reasonable or I'll yeah. get burned. <laughs> I don't really think that, but I, I have to think it mattered a little bit. Yeah, I, I, uh, I definitely still kind of stir over the decision that Mance made early on there, and uh, Stannis too, for that matter. I felt like they could have talked it out better than they did especially with so much at stake, I feel like they should have talked it out better than they did, even if they end up with the same conclusion. Even if, in the end, Mance is going to get burned to death and there's no compromise, I feel like there should have been a better conversation. So I was happy that at least there was a good conversation here with Tormund, who, and maybe that's something we're supposed to be seeing here, is that Tormund is as worthy a leader as Mance, you know, or on, on par, at least, you know. Um, we'll see. <laughs> but maybe it's a trick. Maybe it's just a trick. And, and in fact... They might have even given us a clue to that when Ollie suggests to John that it's just a trick, right? You're not really doing this, are you? Uh, yeah, the other trick. Yeah, John is the one yeah. making the trick. But uh, I think John is clearly not doing something deceitful here. Um, but I don't think Tormund is either. Because I don't th think... I'm trying to remember, has Tormund specifically seen walkers? He hasn't seen them on screen, but it seems likely that he's seen them yeah. being where you know being a wildling. And all Mance has talked about seeing them and all that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see, but I, I'm, I'm taking them as being honest for the moment. So There's a mention uh, of a place called Hardhome, which is where the Wildlings are gathering, and a little bit of background on Hardhome. I don't, sp I don't know if the show has mentioned this, but just from my own knowledge, the Hardhome was the first attempt or the closest thing to a Wildling town. It's not really a town, but it's the closest thing there is to such a thing. And it, at one point it had a port, and it was destroyed, I don't know how the show is going to refer to its destruction, or if it will at all, so I won't go into much detail there. That would be, that's getting into book territory. But we'll, it seems very likely that we'll be seeing Hard Home now. And John going with is interesting. I have, I struggle with this a little bit because John is clearly not really solid as a leader yet. I don't mean that he's not being a good leader. I mean that others haven't fully accepted him. And immediately he's making this decision that a lot of people find questionable. And he's kind of forcing it on them without them accepting it. And that is not a great 
leadership quality, especially for someone who was a new leader, for people who hasn't been fully accepted, for there was a little, you know, he was barely, he was barely voted in. He won by one vote. Him leaving on this mission that others aren't going to approve of at such a time when his leadership is kind of in flux, it seems a little bit like he, he could be asking for trouble there. What do you think about that? I thought about a lot of that stuff too, and I think in the end, I don't want to say it's okay. Like I get to approve, <laughs> uh, but uh, by Sean. my thoughts are one that this might further uh, solidify the decision or his belief in it or whatever. Like, uh, fine, you want to go, or you want this to happen, you go do it. I can imagine. Otherwise, what's going to happen is he's going to stay there at the wall. And told some, hey, Alistair, you go with the wildlings. You know what I mean? Like, that's not going to work. Yeah, and, they wouldn't, he wouldn't negotiate well. <laughs> and he's all—he's also been, well, not only would Alistair not negotiate well, but Alistair doesn't believe in the mission in the first place. Well, that's place. what I mean. He wouldn't and, negotiate right. well because he doesn't believe in them. And, and other people wouldn't buy into John's leadership if he sent someone else to do the dirty work. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So, and, and John is a northerner, and the northern way thing is kind of to do it do it yourself. Yeah. It's the, you know, you, you... And certainly it's a questionable decision, but that's John started off with that. He, mm-hmm. he knows it's a questionable decision, but if he's going to do it, this is the way he has to do it. Yeah. And so... Uh, so it's kind of like he has to do it, but it doesn't mean he isn't sticking his neck out a little more, and he is maybe making the situation a little worse as far as his leadership goes, but... He also might have even decided or realized or considered that I might lose control of the wall. I might come back and they don't set me as Lord Commander anymore. Except I don't care about that. I'm trying to save. My vow is to protect the realms of men. It doesn't matter if I'm Lord Commander, I'm going to protect the realms of men. You know what I mean? He's, yeah. he's got a higher good in mind. Uh, there's definitely lots of like issues with this, but I think overall... It makes more sense to me than Mance getting burned alive. <laughs> <laughs> it really shows that we really get the point is really driven home about how much the how much the watch does not like this idea. By Dollar's head, who is probably John's closest friend left on the wall, is also against it. He's he's he, 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 and it's the same thing. All the people who complain about this decision all bring up the same thing: who they've killed. The wildlings yeah. killed Gren. They killed Pip. They killed Ollie's family. They killed all these other nameless brothers and all these other. You know, the people at Molestown, all these women, all this stuff. It's like, they can't get over that. This is really emotional. It doesn't matter how smart or progressive John's thinking is. These people have, the brothers on the wall, have very, very strong emotional feelings about the wildlings. They've been you brought know, up to hate them. They've been brought up to think of them as enemies. John, it's, it's bad leadership to simply tell people, hey, look, this is what we have to do. You have to accept your ancient enemies as, as friends now. That requires more massaging, more selling of the yeah. idea. And I think John did a bad job of selling it. He First he brings up just the fact that they're people. He says, women and children, but they don't care. The, the, the Night's Watch does not care about that, and John should know that. When he brings up the fact that, oh, we're, making, we're building the, uh, the, the White Walkers a huge army, that's the point he needs to hammer home. Yeah, yeah. That's what he should have that. led with that point. But he, he finished with that point after all the argument happened, and, and you know, that's the thing, that's the point that really matters. Although I'm not sure that it really does matter. It does. I mean, you could say, what do you mean, Aziz? How could it possibly not matter that they have, you know, 100,000 new zombies on their side? There's a still a 700-foot wall of ice. What are the zombies going to do to that? Yeah. Well, one, apparently they're going to do something. They're worried about it in the first place. I don't know. I don't know if in the, enough of the nature of the zombies or the magical properties that it might be there or what else could come with winter. But they are worried about it one way or the other. Yeah. Well, um, supposedly from history, I'll jump in here with a little factoid. Okay. The wall was built after the original invasion of the others from the Long Night a long time back. 
Although the timeline is sketchy on that, it's possible that it was started before that. The wall wasn't just like you know built in a day. Instantly built, yeah. It was it was built and then it was added to and then added to and then successfully over generations it's grown taller. It's only recently, relatively recently in the wall's history that they stopped adding to it. That's partly because the manpower yeah. has declined. Also because they probably were like, well, that's big enough. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, even George is on record now saying, yeah, I made the wall too big. I shouldn't have made it that tall. <laughs> but that said, so we don't know. We don't have necessarily historical pre- if the wall was built after before the original Long Night. Let's just say, for argument's sake, that the wall existed before the original invasion of the White Walkers. We have no stories telling us how that all went down. Where the zombies just stymied by the wall, they're just like, "Oh, I can't go forward anymore, and I can't climb because I'm an uncoordinated white." But magic could be involved. Uh, maybe the White Walkers are able to bypass the wall somehow, or they can send their zombies around. It's if that happens, then the wall is not so great after all. Yeah. But but from my perspective, surely that's a consideration. The big, this huge wall, it's, the zombies can't just go around it, just like the wildlings couldn't. Yeah. You know, and not I, in large numbers anyway. They can't in small numbers. Yeah, I guess that is, as, as far as the the wall goes, maybe it's enough. You know, like, hey, we, we don't care about the wildlings dying to all the, the white walkers out there. As long as they can't get past the wall, why are we going to let the wildlings in here? But, um... A couple of the thoughts I had when you're pointing out that where John should the argument he should have led with uh, is the, the the stronger one, which I think I pretty much agree with. Except here's a difference: is it in John's mind there are people and we need to help them? Right. A one. And by the way, from a practical standpoint, we don't want more walkers out there. That's how he's thinking of it. Right. He should have reversed that. Argument. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think as a leader, he should have, but it makes sense the way he did it. Yes. It's new for him to be a leader. He was hesitant about this in the first place. Amon kind of pushed him into it. He is in a position where he kind of has to act sooner than later, so it's not going to be ideal and fully thought out. Um, yeah. But uh, I will also say, I'm another thing about this that I'm kind of happy about is that John's not leaving the wall to go south. That is one thing I was worried about. I. I I didn't think Davos's argument was convincing. I think too many times he stood his ground for his, the sake of his vows, and I didn't want him to suddenly change here, unless something really big or significant happened, which I, I mean, I can make up a bunch of things that might be, but but it's got to be like a totally new thing. You know, I feel like John needs to stay at the wall for the sake of how his character has been developed, or maybe not so much stay at the wall. Not go south. Not go right. to Winterfell. Not get involved. Again, not get involved in the politics of the realm. He needs to yeah. do his job, stick to his vows. Like you said, he's done a good job of sticking to his vows. He's been tested several times this season, and he stuck to it. He didn't. He didn't. He wasn't tempted with the offer of Winterfell. He was. He avoided the temptation of Melisandre, and she would have convinced things. me. <laughs> <laughs> she probably would have convinced most people. But let's see. So we also have Stannis and Davos talking about the wildlings. Stan- Davos once argues for waiting and saying, "Hey, let's let's get the let's get to see what happens with the wildlings. If we can get them in our army." Stannis says, "No, our advantage is now. Our advantage is wasting away. We're allowing Roos to to gather his strength to consolidate his power. That's a that's more important that we strike now than when that we have a lot of manpower." And something that doesn't get mentioned here's a, here's one of those rare times we'll all mention something from the books. It's very mild, but it's mentioned that. Having the wildlings in Stannis' army would be very bad as far as uh, politically. The wildlings, again, just like they're enemies of the Watch, they're also enemies of the Northerners. The Northerners hate the wildlings. They, they, for so many, especially the far northern families, have suffered wilding raids for thousands of years, and they're just very prejudiced against the wildlings. They, and not for bad reason. 
So Stannis joining with the Wildlings is bad politically. And that's something yeah. they didn't really bring yeah. up, but it really it bears mention here. Stannis may not have mentioned it, but I, I can pretend that he was thinking it and that it was a good thing. And it really does make sense. You're like, no, you can't have Wildlings in your army. just makes you look real bad. It, it's not That's not a good way to, to embolden yourself to the Northerners is what Stannis is trying to save the North to have the North rise for him, having wildlings in his army is not going to help with that. Uh, another thing has occurred to me here, which caused another thing to occur to me here. I want to point out, first of all, that it's barely been 12 hours since I've seen it. And so uh, <laughs> a lot of times on these episodes, I'm like thinking of new stuff as we talk about it, uh, including we had to kind of talk about themes and motifs uh, in past episodes. Yeah, there, were, there wasn't much of a theme this episode. I think there might or? have been. Because okay. uh, we keep mentioning this idea of how the this kind of going against the grain, that it's hard for John to convince these people this tradition that's been there all along that they have to change. And he's sort of joining forces with the enemy to do it. Well, look at where else this is happening. Sansa is marrying uh, Bolton. Mm-hmm. Danny is marrying Hisdar. Oh, yes. You know what I mean? I think there might be a little bit of like the recognition of getting over it. You look, things have been this certain way in the past, and there's been strife. If we're going to move forward, we got to join forces, even if it's not popular, even if it's not what you want, even if it's not the expected or the tradition. Kill the so boy. compromise. Compromise, compromise is a say, bit of a yeah. growing up and accepting the hard truths, accepting the things you don't want to accept to get the results you need to get. That's that's good. I had you're right. It is sometimes hard to pick out the themes. Some a last few weeks, some of them have been very obvious. I think we've been able to pick them out, but I I didn't even bring up themes this time because I couldn't think of too many. Sometimes I wonder if I'm just reading in. Once you decide no, something, I think you try to find it everywhere. But think of how. Tyrion and Jorah are starting to get along here. You know, started Absolutely. off pitted against each other, Absolutely. but now they kind of brought together. Anyway, just That's a thought a that good, popped into my no, head. You were, I think you nailed that. I think, I think that was right on top. Uh, so the meeting in the mess hall, this is where we have Dollar's head, you know, reacting. We have his, his uh, objection. We have Alistair Thorne and others kind of echoing him. We talked about John's argument and how it should be flipped. But we also have a great moment where Stannis is a grammar... You know, a grammarian. It's the second time in the series that he has corrected someone by saying fewer instead of lesser or less. And it gives me such a chuckle. I'm really glad to see Stannis getting fleshed out more as a character, becoming a great leader. It was an early complaint of a lot of fans, that, especially fans of Stannis, that the show wasn't doing him justice. And they seem to be really fixing that. Stannis has really been more rounded. He's funny. He's a good leader. And, you know, you, can't, you don't have to agree with all his decisions. He's very cold. He's harsh. But he's got that. They've even given him that sensitive side with the way he treats Shireen. So he's really been fleshed out as a character. Does that just mean he's going to die soon now that we like him? <laughs> oh, not. <laughs> it might mean he's going to do something terrible now. That's another pattern I recognize. They keep us from liking a character too much. Uh, it's, um, we could go on and on, but I feel like there's a lot of examples where <laughs> someone is doing a lot of good, positive things. And then they do this one terrible thing, you know. Uh, maybe Stannis is going to sacrifice Shireen next. <laughs> <laughs> so we have the team's dra- Team Dragonstone folks, we'll call them. We have Shireen talking about her interest in the Winterfell crypts, which was really neat. I wonder what that's where that's headed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a hard time imagining what Shireen, how she could be interacting with the crypts in, in a meaningful way other than that she's got an interest in history. But I, I thought that was a really cool mention, and I have no idea where it's headed. Do you, did, did that mention strike you at all or was that i thought it was pretty interesting yeah i, th- I think shireen's an interesting character i feel like she has maybe some elements of aria you mm. know like she's They're about the same age uh 
And uh, also, I think she might have a little bit of... I mean, they're not connected or related, but just like comparing characters. She's clever. She's uh, trying to sassy in yeah. the way that Sansa is. Were you bored a lot, too? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she still got a little of her father's, uh, yeah, uh, get to the pointedness of it. Yeah. <laughs> His real talk. Yeah. <laughs> So, and of course we have but Celise. But stifled by her mom. You oh know, yeah, so that's what I was about to say. Celise being extremely unpleasant as usual comes in and like, no more talk about battles. And then she looks at, gives a disapproving look of how Shireen is looking at Jilly and, and she's like, don't you, yeah. keep away from those wildlings. It's like, God, you are so unpleasant. <laughs> Jeez, total killjoy this one. By the way, that was the Mother's Day episode, right? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't yeah. they kill Tywin on Father's Day? Yes. <laughs> and Danny had, well, we'll get to it, but Danny had a Mother's Day speech, basically. A mother doesn't abandon her, doesn't that's give up right. on her children. Yeah, that's right. No matter yeah. how much they get out of line, a mother does not <laughs> abandon her children. And I was like, yeah, Mother's Day right there. So we're actually about to head into Essos and talk about that. But, but real quick, one other thing. I really liked the, the the shot of the soldiers leaving Castle Black, the Column of Knights. That was really cool. They had good music, all of Stannis' army marching. It kind of drew it out just a little bit of having him mount up and everything. It was really, it, 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 watching the second time especially, it, hit, it really hit me. Because they don't usually do that. They, the way they, they, a lot of times they rush. And some of these scenes in this episode I felt were a little rushed. Some plot points were rushed past. They were done really quickly. We've already mentioned that in past episodes of the season. So whenever they draw something out like that, it's to show the visuals. I, I you know, I, I usually appreciate it, and this was no exception. I liked that, even though I don't know if it had any deeper meaning to it. Did you think it had any? I thought it was the end of the episode. <laughs> I thought it was, it was such a sort of big climactic moment. I thought it was, and it's, they've ended a moment like that at the wall before too. So I yeah. thought it was going to be the end of the episode. So. <laughs> there were there were two points where the episode seemed like it was yes, ending. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, which the other one, of course, being Tyrion and Jorah when Tyrion is dr- apparently drowned or drowning. So yeah. that did look like I, <laughs> yeah. I watched the episode and I was like, that can't be the end right here. And then I watched it with you because you came home from work and you said the same thing. You're like, that can't be the end. I'm like, that's what I said. Yeah. So good thing that didn't happen. It was even long enough of like a, a stall. And again, I can't help but think, especially talking about all the production effort that goes into this it's partly by design the amount of time they spent with a blank screen there i guarantee that's based on some sort of study that they did how long people wait till they <laughs> look away or pause or fast forward or whatever you know yeah i was expecting uh, credits to appear any second and then once yeah. it was once a certain amount of time passed it's like okay they're clearly not going to appear this scene isn't over yeah. yet and then yay it wasn't <laughs> because they've even had episodes end with no music you know, yeah, that's a thing right. that they've done before. Or delayed music. And, or Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> so I, uh, I I almost wonder if they did decide, I, especially because the music that did come, Shay even pointed out that it didn't quite fit the moment with Jorah there, that it was like this boom, 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 this kind of ominous sort of a march, which I think might would have fit the ending better if it was the, the army leaving Winterfell. You know what I'm saying? Uh I wonder if that was like an editing decision to to switch to further convince us that to, to the psych out of the end of the episode. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. There might have been a, a specific psychologically yeah. uh, specific time frame involved there, and how how many seconds of blackness they left there. It was us. long enough for me to to wonder to, to to even have a negative thought go through my mind. I was like, man, it's not like Game of Thrones to have a a, a cliffhanger like that. I'm disappointed that they would. Oh. Oh, they didn't? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So, okay, so let's go ahead and move on to Essos. We've got a couple different things going on at Essos. We start with Tyrion and Jorah. We have 
a little bit more of Tyrion kind of talking his way into Jorah's good graces. He's a good talker. He's really good at making people like him more. And he, he brings up that great, that hilarious line, you know, sullen silences and the occasional punch to the mm-hmm. face. The Mormont way. <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. Good, good tension breaker. And it just shows how, like you said, by the end of this whole scene, series of scenes at the at Valyria and the Smoking Sea, we do have, I made the same observation you did, that Jorah is treating Tyrion better. He's treating him, I guess having a near-death experience together kind of brings people together. <laughs> uh, but also, now they're going to be walking together. He can't really be a captive. They're sort of companions. And Jorah, and, you know, Jorah knows that Tyrion, or at least he believes the story that Tyrion was heading towards Danny anyway. So, what was your impression of this ruined Valyria and this whole scene of this hall, this river, and this, the, the ancient ruins and all this talk? Give me your impressions of that. This is something that us book readers have had kind of in our head for a long time, but to you, I guess it was relatively fresh. Did you have a preconceived notion of what Valyria would look like ahead of this, or <clears throat> was it similar, or was it completely new to you, or what? I had a vague idea. Um, there was, I think I remember a story of how one of the kings, or someone that had a a blade. Was it a Lannister, maybe? Someone that had a... What's the, the metal? Steel blade? A Valerian steel blade in the family that had been lost. And they went there to try to find it and then got lost and never returned. You're right. And, that uh, was a Lannister. That was Tyrion's uncle. Okay. Tywin's youngest brother. Uh, Jerry <clears throat> Lannister. Yeah. And I had heard it... have the, the doom had been talked about. And in my mind, I kind of equated it it's to like... Uh, Pompeii in Rome, you know, that like some catastrophic event, earthquakes and volcanoes had gone off and just demolished a civilization that was once great or whatever. I'm not exactly sure what I expected. It was, I hadn't really dwelled on it very much. Um, but I don't, on one hand, I don't think it's quite what we did see here because this seemed more like abandoned than destroyed. It seemed yeah. kind of overgrown and unkept. But also I can imagine... Valeria isn't like a city or an, an island. It's maybe a, it was a, whole peninsula. a continent or, you know, like the size, right? Yeah. So I can imagine, like, I, I remember even going, you know, considering the map, you know, and I just, I can imagine if in Westeros, 20 volcanoes could go off and it not even affect King's Landing. You know what I mean? Uh, Other than the atmosphere, brother, probably. Right, and maybe in the long term, it would, like, cloud the atmosphere and crops yeah, couldn't grow. Like yeah. But it wouldn't, like, all the castles wouldn't crumble to the ground or get covered <laughs> with molten lava or something exactly. like that. But they might be abandoned by civilization and get grown over the vines. And so, you know, this spot that they're going probably wasn't the heart of the doom of Valeria. It's probably the outskirts around the rim yeah. where maybe some destruction had occurred and it had been abandoned but wasn't, like run over with molten lava um i think you have to be right because they're they also they they're they were skirting if not fully in uh committing a bit of an inconsistency in the in the end of at the season in the season one histories and lore videos which are uh usually part of the blu-rays i believe they have a, a series of short two to five minute videos where they talk about certain historical topics and, and background stories and they mention the doom of Illyria, and it is it is volcanic that's the main thing that happened there so it's a bit of an inconsistency that they didn't portray it this way. But as you say, it's a whole subcontinent. It's a very large place, and they're just, you're right, they're just around the, the outskirts here. They're not necessarily in the center of it all. So I can kind of understand that. That's not too bad. Also, it doesn't really make a lot of sense for them to blow a lot of their budget on something they're only going to see for one scene. Yeah. And they did some other things to make it cool in the meantime. The description and the background, the way they talked about it was really cool. The poem. 
was great. I yeah. really liked that poem. By the way, that poem is not from the books. They wrote that entirely for the show. So good job, showrunners there, or whoever, whichever writer came up with that. And they used... And then we had the two big moments, some action. We have Drogon flying above, where and, and Jorah is kind of in awe, even though he's seen Drogon before. Tyrion is completely, you know, caught off guard and like, wow, he stands up, he stares up, and he's, you know, his, his facial reaction is great. And that sets them up for not noticing the stone men. <laughs> but what did you think about seeing Drogon there? How did that, what did you think about that? A couple things. One, I wanted to give a, a little more of an answer to your original question was sure it was a reminder that this is an adventure you know this is like a new land and the the, the there was a little bit of uh, intrigue and a sense of danger even because you remember i, I seem to remember Tyrion kind of like stopped mid-sentence talking to jorah because yeah. jorah kind of saw they were coming up on it Tyrion turned oh i know you know there's a it's a lot of times the show is like you know cold calculated conversations in the dark rooms of winterfell you know but sometimes they're mm -hmm. out on a boat going to a, <laughs> a forbidden land you know so uh it was kind of exciting i will say um to be reminded of some of the adventure of the show also i i wonder how coincidental it was that the dragon was there i wonder if maybe he was drawn to that it's his homeland how many times has he gone there already did he sense that Tyrion was there, maybe? Mm. I don't know how <laughs> mystical things could be here. It was interesting, at, at a minimum. It was definitely also neat to... Jorah seeing the dragon as kind of a... Maybe a, a... I don't know if a reminder of home is quite the right word. I don't know what he thinks is home anymore, but the home he seems to want to get to right now, you know? Yeah, you wonder and, what uh, he was thinking. He's like, whoa, this this dragon is pretty far from Marine right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wonder if he's thinking that... Danny's nearby, maybe, he's, or, or his, I can't remember what the state of the dragons were when he left. Had she locked him up? Was he still around when she locked him up? That's a good point. I don't remember I don't if remember. they had been, I think they had been locked up, but I'm not clear on that. I think he was banished, and then they were locked up. It's very close. They were very close together. Yeah. Uh, In any case, again, we hear the same, it's like this dragon motif, the same song that they play, that same haunting, sad dragon music that was originally i think the first time it was played was in that scene when the dragons were locked up in the catacombs and it was very sad especially the look on danny's face because she did some good facial acting there amelia did and every time that music comes back it just makes me think of that scene which was really pretty emotional just uh for uh it was a really well done scene so good job of of re bringing that back through music i appreciated that and it's immediately just taken over by this action sequence. As soon as we had, we had this moment where it's like sad and the dragon, there's awe, they're like, wow, dragon, and then boom, what was that? <laughs> Splash, and then all of a sudden there's a stone man on the boat with them, and they're fighting. I wasn't expecting the stone men to be so nimble, but they're, you know, I, it's not really a problem. It was just a bit of a surprise. And so I'm not exactly sure how they wound up so far away underwater. We'll just, you know, the show is... Kind of takes liberties with distance, I think, in a few spots. This is not necessarily their strong point, but we'll, we will, there's not much to say about that. The the big thing, Jorah having grayscale. That's the yeah, thing yeah. to talk about. What do you think about that? That is a major, major development. He is a infected. He just and we got to, he just got through talking about. It. Don't let them touch you. Don't let them touch you. Now tear now Jorah is the man that no one should be touching. Yeah. Uh, there's lots I I don't know about it and. Uh... 
you know, how quick, like, my first thought when it was on, I was like, whoa, that's quick. It's already, like, appeared. I thought it, you know, does it have a dormancy period? Is it the instant you touch, you get it? How long does it take to spread once you do get it? Like, is this something that's, that's like, seen. three <laughs> days from now it's going to be all up his arm, or three months from now it's going to be all up his arm? Um, if, if he has it on that spot on his arm, now he's infected, can he touch Tyrion with his other hand and it's okay? Or if any part of him touches any part of anyone, I don't know. Uh, and how did he get it? Did he get it from one of the stone men touching him or was it just, did he get it from the water? Which we, yeah, which did brings he have up the, it, had which, he gotten it before? That's even yeah. possible, yeah. That brings, up, yeah. that brings up another question. Do you think Tyrion might have it too? Like all those, yeah. those are good questions. Did he have it, does, did he, is it latent? You know, could, he, could it come later? Could he get it? Just he's going to be around Jorah so much. Yeah. <laughs> in the, in the I'm going to assume from the way they presented it to us that he got it from being touched. And it, you won't get it unless you're touched by a portion of it, not just by someone that has it. I, I'm going to assume it's not. Although, we already know that Shireen got it from a doll. You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily have to be the skin or active. Yeah. But maybe it was a doll mm-hmm. that she had all the time, touching to her cheek, in her crib. Maybe not the same as an incidental, your hand touched a sword that someone held one time, you know. You're definitely right to point out that we do not know entirely how it works. Yeah. And if it, it may have a supernatural element to it, which makes it even harder to understand and predict. So that's a, a, a good starting point there for, ooh, this is going to be big. <laughs> but we don't know exactly how big. And, and uh, how I'm going to assume that he's not going to just degenerate to terribleness in three days. Yeah, and he's going to keep it hidden. It's not going to spread to Tyrion until they get to Danny. I'm also kind of assuming they're going to get to Danny. I'm kind of thinking for it. This is what I kind of think, expect, right on, hope right for, on. whatever. Because at that point, then I wonder what's going to happen. Will Danny accept him when he comes back? If she does accept him when he comes back, will she accept him even if he has grayscale? Does that make it worse? <laughs> does that make her maybe have a soft spot? Oh, I can't banish him with grayscale, too. This, too. That's more. That's more than I want to be put on him, you know, as angry yeah, as I am. She obviously didn't want to kill him in the first right. place. She sent him and, away. Uh, but also, is it or will she recognize it as being a threat to the city for someone grayscale to be there? Will it spread? How Again, how contagious is it? Yep. I also <laughs> wonder, this is the thing I was wondering. We saw the scene with Tyrion and Varus. They kind of stopped to listen to that priest. That woman. The Red Priestess, yeah. Which referenced Gunson Grayscale there. And she referenced Danny as a savior, right? They even later on talked about how priests and prostitutes both are looking up to this queen, you know? And the Red Priests, you know, their association with fire. Maybe Danny is a savior. Maybe she <laughs> is, whether she knows or wants to be, or maybe she'll be thought of as being connected to the Red God. If she isn't actually, uh, I wonder if she could cure the grayscale. I wonder if that's like a power she might have. Mm. Um, anyway, I don't know. Uh, so here's another question that is related to Tyrion and Jorah, not directly related to this scenes in this episode, but back, backing up an episode. How did Jorah recognize Tyrion? This, this question comes from the Canadian dude from our YouTube channel. A couple others had a similar question. How did he know that was Tyrion? That's a very good question. I had to actually think about it for a while. I think that... He must have overheard him talking. Maybe he recognized his accent. It's not clear what language Tyrion was speaking there in the brothel. If he found someone that he spoke the common tongue to, that would be a bit of a giveaway. 
It's possible in show canon, Tyrion and Jorah have encountered each other. In the books, I don't think they had prior to any of that. But also Tyrion is a lot more distinct looking in the books, so that helps. But in the show, it's, it's a little unclear. I think there's a reason. It could be an oversight. It could be just a continuity error. But I think there's enough wiggle room for, for thinking that maybe they encountered each other in the past or that he recognized his voice via his accent. Not that he knew what Tyrion sounded like, but that he recognized the Westerosi accent. Especially if you add to that, he's a dwarf. Jorah would certainly be aware of Tyrion's existence and of him being a dwarf. He had blonde hair. Mm -hmm. And in the conversation with the prostitute, he said something along the lines of, until recently, I was a very wealthy man. And he also said, I'm known for paying my debts. <laughs> if Jorah heard any of that stuff, it That's would be... That's true. Yeah. I, don't, I didn't get the impression that Jorah <clears throat> was listening to their conversation at that point, because that was one of the first things he said. But that would definitely explain it. Yeah. So Also, I, Tyrion may have said that many other times. He might have been drunk and reckless in what he was doing. Varys yeah. didn't want him to go into the city, you know. <laughs> So let's move on to Marine. We're still in Essos here. His Dar, we get uh, some new info on his Dar. We get Danny's Mother's Day speech that I mentioned before. Um, I thought it was uh, Danny's handling of Barristan's death. There, first of all, Barristan's death has caused an extreme amount of dismay and frustration from the fandom. There's, it was one of the biggest outcries I've seen since we've been following the show. Well, I've been following the show the whole time, but since we've been covering the show, of course, only uh, is a lot less time. But let's just say, since the show has been a thing at all, it's one of the biggest points of outcry that I've seen. Not much to be done about that. Barristan's gone. It's very sad. I, it was very tragic, and it drove Danny to do something that Barristan would not have approved of. And but it may have been necessary. What do you think? Danny, of course, backtracked on her decision. She she kind of thought she did something wrong, but it. It's tough because the masters probably are at least somewhat responsible. Maybe not all of them, but she's not wrong probably that they're involved. What do you think about that? What did you think, first of all, about her decision to execute one of them like that in such a terrifying way and then preface, you know, follow that up with what you think about how she changed her mind and, and, and kind of circled back and, and fixed the situation? Well, I'm glad she circled back. I don't know if she's fixed the situation. No, she certainly hasn't fixed uh, it, although she's trying to. <laughs> even, if, even if overall everyone buys into this, uh, if you will, okay, she's bringing the fighting pits back. She's marrying this former slave owner family. She's making good political moves. That family, they're not going to forgive her. No. no matter what. Nope. Just like the people on the wall aren't going to go along with the wildlings. You know what I mean? Like that, she good went. Point. And a big part of her stance was. I guess to be she even clear, pointed out. She even says this might not be. None of you may be responsible, or maybe all of you are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she. Uh, I was going to say a big part of her stance, and I realized it wasn't necessarily a big part of her stance. It became a big part of a stance that she took on under Barrison's advice to give a trial. There's no trial for these guys, and it seems like there could have been at least before you freaking feed one alive to a dragon. You could have some pretense of a trial. Maybe there even was some trial that we just didn't see and it would have taken too much screen time. But I get the idea that we're supposed to see her go too far here. That she's doing what she wouldn't normally do. She doesn't feel she's out of options. She's digging a deeper hole, etc., etc. And again, it's, it is understandable, although it is still, I feel like, it's not exactly in the heat of the moment. There's a lot of coordination to round these guys up, right? It's in the heat of the moment, she can have his jar arrested. 
That's one thing. In the heat of the moment, she can have someone's head chopped off. But in the heat of the moment, you can't have multiple people rounded up, <laughs> gathered together, brought into the crypt, give this speech, push one of them in. You know what I mean? That was that was a lot of planning, coordinated, premeditated decision making. She may have made part. the decision when she to do it when she was at her most angry, but she didn't. Yeah. It took her a while to circle back and maybe realize that she had made a mistake. If she even thinks it was a mistake. She certainly changed her tactics. That doesn't mean she thinks that what she did before was a mistake. She just thinks that, at the very least, she thinks that something else might work better. Uh, it wasn't exactly... Well, she did admit it was a mistake to his dark. She said I was yeah. wrong to do that. But that doesn't necessarily mean... It doesn't necessarily mean she totally feels that way. It's just a good... She might just be saying to his dar, hey, she's just trying to be amiable and say, look, you were right. I'd feel a little better if at least the, the one guy who did get killed there, if we had some idea that he's at least more likely to be involved. If there had been some conversation with him in the past, some insubordination that came from him or his family. That would have made a just more sense, yeah. One, what if he was like the one noble guy? You know what I mean? <laughs> and everyone else was in on it and he didn't want to go along and he's the one who got killed. You know, uh, I wish we had some minor little bit of insider background to who he was and how and why he was the one that was thrown forward there. Uh, and again, it's one thing to use peer pressure. I think a, a large part of what she's doing here is peer pressure. Like, Don't you support might, these. Under, right, these <laughs> you movement. might all be innocent, but since I don't know, you're all in trouble. And if the people who do know come out, then we'll da 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 you, Maybe you're afraid if you rat out the other guys, they'll turn on you. Well, guess what? If you don't rat the other guys, I'm going to kill you. Like, uh, I don't agree with that, but I understand that line of thinking, especially from a dictator, which it seems like she's trying to not be a dictator, but she is. She's trying um, to be a benevolent dictator, I think. Right. But I feel like you start somewhere, some lighter level <laughs> of peer pressure other than eating alive, you know what I mean? Uh, I think she feels chop like... Chop someone's finger off, you know, yeah. put their son in jail. Take, take hostages, you know, yeah. Take, yeah, there's know. a lot of other steps you could have do. Uh, and maybe it's another two-for-one here. She's trying to, like, remind everyone she's Mother Dragons. Dario said, hey, Queen with no dragons, da-da-da. Um, it also says something that, you know, her Barristan uh, wasn't around to be giving her good advice anymore, and now it's Dario, who's a lot bloodier. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, uh, think it's the worst thing worst thing that Danny's done. Really? Okay. I think it's, can you think? What's the worst? In the past, I didn't like how she burned the woman, the witch, alive. Yeah, that was I feel bad. like that woman on some level was justified. She yeah. had been raped. Her people had been killed and murdered and so pillaged. The whole thing. She had a right to it's vengeance. It's not crazy against... for her to want some kind of revenge. Yeah. And, uh... She, she also on. I'm slightly more justifying Danny there because you can also see why Danny would want revenge. She did try to protect the woman and her people and got repaid in this way. Uh, and also on some level, it might have been part of this ceremony. It wasn't purely vindictive. She she wanted to have that. She felt this unnatural drive. This uh, what's the word? Un, un, supernatural drive. To have this ceremony, including a sacrifice to birth the dragons, I can come up with ways in my mind to maybe justify. It. She's more immature. It's, she She's also the Mad King's you know. daughter. Yeah, maybe they're just freaking <laughs> crazy in her. Uh, but uh, I never but I, that. I, I think she's made a lot of mistakes, and I think maybe she's been stubborn. Um, 
Later on, we even, I, I wish Miss Sunday had maybe been a little more pointed with her in the same way that I think Barrison a couple times and other characters have in private been like, look, you're messing this thing up. I think Miss Sunday had the opportunity to tell her, start, I thought even that's where it was going. Hey, I've seen you ignore everyone's counsel before, which that's been like a complaint I've had of Danny <laughs> and a reason I like Stannis. Um, but then she's like, ignore everyone's counsel. Because you knew the better way. Like, oh, man. <laughs> First of all, I'm not sure. Well, she said known. sometimes. Some, yeah, yeah. So, to be fair, right. <laughs> but Because uh, she, yeah, she went through the whole range. Like, sometimes I've seen you take listen to advice. Sometimes, you know, it was. A, yeah. But I think that uh, this is. Uh, I think it's the worst thing I, that, that Danny's done. It's just kind of, again, I haven't I thought, thought too about deep it about way. this, but yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the worst thing she's done. It was. It was. It felt. Yeah, I definitely felt like it was unjust. And I, I was. I struggled with it a little bit. But I've also, you know, I do think that it's Danny's in a tough spot. I think that she has to do violent things to make these people come around, at least in some regard. I don't think that's, but I don't think it should be indiscriminate like that. Yeah. So, and it's a slippery I, slope. Yes, very. Tywin thought he had to do violent things to get people to come around. And yeah. next thing you know, you're eradicating an entire, you know, city or family or whatever, you know. So. It's true. So we talk about Danny and Masande, like you said. And so I, I thought the speech was a little awkward, but I thought the underlying message was was fairly solid that Denny is capable of making good decisions if she isn't too wrapped up, if she isn't too emotional about it, especially she definitely has that Targaryen temper thing going where she she reacts with with fire, <laughs> very literally this mm-hmm. time. But when she stops to think, she is pretty smart. Um, like a lot of characters, a lot of that's a very common theme throughout the show and books is that characters who react a lot of times re- regret their reactions. Characters who stop to think, well, to be fair, sometimes characters who stop to think wish they had reacted. So I mean that's that's life. Sometimes it's better to react, and sometimes it's better to stop and think. And we we don't always know at the time which is better. It's a hind- hindsight is twenty twenty kind of thing. Now. Very quickly, I thought this was, and because not, I don't mean very quickly we're going to cover it, but it happened very quickly that Danny changed her mind. She comes in and has the scene with Hisdar and just says she's going to reopen the pits and going to marry you. And I'm sure he, Hisdar is just like, do what now? Uh, <laughs> what a turnaround. He's yeah. like, oh, I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm going to get fed to a dragon. Wait, no, I'm going to become king of marine? That is kind of like winning the lottery. <laughs> so what did you think about that? A couple th- couple of big questions here. What did you think about her decision to reopen the fighting pits? We'll start with that. What do you think about that? I think that was like a gimme. I can't believe that was even an issue for her in the first place. That was yeah. such, it seemed like such an easy compromise for her to make. She was just being stubborn. Uh, and it was kind of telegraphed. It wasn't, it wasn't like there was a lot of other options presented to her as far as in the storyline. They weren't yeah. like, well, you could also do this or do this. These are these other Miranese traditions you can, do, you can uphold. Yeah. Well, really, the fighting pits is really the only thing we've been really talked about the only tradition Miranese tradition that's really been brought out is slavery and Danny's obviously not uh, gonna bring that back but what about the decision to marry his dar that's the really big one now I would say we haven't seen a lot from his dar in the first place but everything I've seen I've liked I thought he's been an interesting character and been wondering how more central he's gonna be uh and been frustrated almost every interaction he's had with Danny I thought he was being reasonable and calm and you know, trying to do what seemed right, and maybe in the back of my mind, some suspicion, but nothing, no real reason, and and she's just been like, nope, screw you, screw you, screw you, you know, and so uh, even up there, when they, I, I, I especially like that moment when, you know, he's like, oh, every man must die, you know, he's like, all right, here, let's, if I'm gonna be put in a situation, let's do it, you know, 
And then later on, he was kind of admitted. She's like, what about everyone? He's like, look, I, I'm trying to be brave, but I don't want to die. What do you want from me? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, he, he seems very reasonable, and he yeah. comes off as very honest. Now, because of the way the slaughter of, of the Unsullied, what was not a slaughter? The, the big the ambush of the Unsullied and the death of Barristan, that was clearly premeditated, of course, and we that scene began during a speech of Hisdar. Mm-hmm. Which causes some people to suspect that maybe his dar is working against Danny after all. Maybe he just had this front of being reasonable. Do you think there's a chance that his dar is not what he seems? Is he part of the resistance movement? That's just he's just a good political face. A good a good. He's really good at seeming like he's on her side. That he's genuine. That hasn't. I haven't seen any clues for that in the show that he's not genuine. But yeah, it has to be considered. Genuine. I mean, I guess you can consider it, but I think it would be. I don't know poor writing of them to suddenly be like aha it was a trick all along you know what i mean that he seems to be accepted by other people he seems to be accepted and trusted by other men you know he traveled with dario to the other city negotiated with those people you know it, when does he have the opportunity for these secret meetings he's a public figure uh that no one else is questioning him uh, you'd think that danny would maybe have him followed or watched or dario yeah. would now, but speaking of Dario, what about Dario's reaction to yeah. Danny getting married to his daughter? We haven't seen that. I don't Dario's know. Dario's already expressed how he doesn't like. He's like, I tell him to tell her to cut your head off, you know. <laughs> so that Dario is kind of a wild card here. He, surely Dario hasn't been thinking that he's going to marry Danny one day, but he can't like this. Yeah. And uh, his my hope is that his character will just be cool with it. He, he understands the big picture. He, if he really cares about Danny in the first place, et cetera, et cetera. We'll see. Uh, the, the fact is, I don't know for sure if she's going to marry his dar. She didn't actually say she's going to marry him. She said a suitor is on his knees. You know, yeah. I, I'm assuming it. The implications are all there. But I was also assuming that Littlefinger was going to get married. <laughs> you know, like so. Uh, yeah. The, the other thing is they're just, who else? There's just no yeah. other. Like, we haven't yeah. been introduced to other. It's one of these other things where there's just no other candidates. Like, she could just bring some. They could introduce a new character and have her marry that yeah. guy. Also, how much will it be just for show, right? Like, it seems like Rams is getting married to Sansa just for show. Robert got married to Cersei just for show. For the most part, I guess Cersei really loved Robert. But my point is... For a a minute, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) uh, It doesn't seem like uh, Danny marrying his daughter means that Danny can't have a relationship with Dario. Right. That's true. Just like... Miranda can, as just as Ramsey is telling Sansa, or yeah. Ramsey's telling Miranda that they can still have a relationship even though she's marrying Sansa. So yeah, maybe that's another theme of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> your uh, women on the, your your not women, but lovers on the side, hidden, you know, political marriages, etc. Yeah, interesting. So let's move on to. The North. One thing, though, before we start on the North, I want to re-mention that we've been getting a lot of great questions and feedback and predictions from you watchers out there, and we want to keep that going. It's gone very well. A lot of you guys have pointed out things that we didn't notice that we incorporate into the show, and that's great because there's too much to notice. And as Sean pointed out, we make this video within a day of the episode coming out. There's no way for us to catch everything in that time. No matter how thorough we are, there just isn't enough time to, to figure it all out, to think everything through. So we definitely rely on you all to help us fill in those gaps. So far, you've done a great job. Keep it up. Let's start with one of those very questions uh, slash predictions in regards to the North and the Brienne and Sansa, or rather Brienne and, yeah, and Podrick and Sansa and all these. 
watching her Josh Glazer suggests that an interesting parallel. Brienne potentially rescuing Sansa is ironic because Sansa is the one who always used to dream of heroic knights and heroic rescues. And the person that's coming to rescue her is a woman, not, uh, you know, some handsome knight. But Brienne is probably the most knightly person in the whole series as far as living up to the ideals of knighthood. So it's a really brilliant piece of irony. Uh, good catch there, Josh. And it also shows the interest of the, a parallel between Brienne and Sandor, whereas Sandor is also uh, critical of knighthood. He's not an ideal knight by any means, but he's not a knight, but understands knighthood better than just about anybody. And he was somebody that had a lot of inter- you know, a lot of closeness with Sansa in the earlier stages of, mm-hmm. of the series. And it's funny how these these characters who have been saviors for Sansa have been not knights. <laughs> mm-hmm. One who is uh, the, the epitome of knighthood who isn't a knight, and one who is also not a knight but hates knighthood and, and thinks it's a really hypocritical thing. So I, I love the interplay there of the hypocrisy and the irony of all that. Interesting, there is, I, I think, Sansa has a third savior in Littlefinger. Yeah. <laughs> also not a knight, also not knightly. <laughs> yeah, not at all. He may, but his his uh, end game for her may not be so uh, pleasant, or you know, may not have her best interest in mind. But you're not wrong that he has saved her from things. He may be saving her just to make things worse for her. You know what? You know who else saved her? There's another knight that saved her. It actually, was a knight, Who's not that? a very good knight. Dantos. Oh yeah, Dantos. <laughs> You're right. Through not Littlefinger. exactly like the handsome, charming <laughs> character that she envisioned, but uh, yeah, that was you know Littlefinger set that up, but definitely Dantos did it, and he was he wasn't you know he definitely deserved some credit. Well, some credit, <laughs> <laughs> credit from the grave. Now another watcher, Hart Johnson, predicts that Brienne will find herself having to choose between her revenge on Stannis and saving Sansa. That's an interesting point. I don't know that that will come to pass, but it could. What do you think she will choose? If it comes down to that, which will she choose? Which vow is bigger to her? Which is more important to her? Her revenge or her vow to save Sansa? I think the vow to save Sansa. I think that's what Bran, quote-unquote, should choose. Uh, It is more knightly than revenge. On some hand, (laughs) uh, the thing is, even saving Sansa is still part of a vow that she made to a person that's dead and she had a vow to Renly who's dead but Sansa's is one Sansa herself is still alive so it's more meaningful to save her and b the vow to Renly would also be tainted by a sense of revenge and so yeah I think she should I think if Brienne is you know the righteous person that she seems to be that the more righteous of those two things is to save Sansa. There's another point here that several Watchers have brought up that I think is really on point and it's something that I wanted to bring up myself at some point. I had thought about it and this is as good a time as any and that's that what right does Brienne have to take revenge on Stannis? Stannis is totally in the right. Renly was by all the laws a complete and total usurper. He Stannis followed the law. Stannis is right. Stannis is the legal uh, inheritor of the throne. He's completely and totally right, and killing a traitor is totally acceptable by all the laws of Westeros. Even murdering one, even assassinating one, even maybe people frown on using blood magic and shadow magic and all that stuff, but the actual killing of Renly is completely justified. And if I would love to see Brienne faced with that, faced with that, it's like, look, 
maybe even from Stannis himself, saying, yeah, look, yeah. How, do you, how dare you judge me? I am the rightful king. Bottom line, Renly was a usurper. You served a traitor. Maybe it'll come from Davos. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. Yeah. I, I really I really hope that comes up. I, I... Also, by the way, even if it is... Here's the thing. Even if it is justified and legal, uh, it still doesn't mean it's going to sit well with her oh, or I people. Oh, I agree. Uh, it's, it's some, you know, we'll just say that murder is bad, but some murder is worse than others. And, in fact, uh, they even have a word for it. When you, kin, kin killer? Kin, uh, kin, kin slayer. Yes. This is also kin slaying. That is very so frowned upon. Even yes. if even if it's okay to kill the usurper, maybe it should be someone outside the family who kills the <laughs> usurper. Uh, kin slaying is definitely, you're, you're not wrong, kin slaying is at the top of the list of worst crimes to commit, again, period. Especially in the North, but everywhere. But, like, well. would, would, okay, would uh, Tywin have been... Thought less of for being a kinslayer if he had Tyrion executed. Well, he because there was swing a trial as well. But yeah, maybe some people uh, might have thought that. Some people and might and have also by the way, Tyrion is a kinslayer at this point, right? So yep. uh, <laughs> definitely no, there's no no way around that one. <laughs> no matter what theory you subscribe to, Tywin is Tyrion's family. <laughs> yeah. So that's a very good point. So this is a really interesting kind of philosophical uh, philosophical conundrum there. You're right that Stannis is sort of guilty of kinslaying. Although was he? It wasn't literally him, right? It was a shadow that had yeah. his face. Like yeah. that's a real like gray area, shadowy area. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very I, I think that's a very interesting discussion point and it really gets to the it's a very tough decision. Like seeing the right in that is really hard. And it almost it just almost boils down to well I believe this, these laws matter more to me. I care more about kinslaying than I do about being a traitor, you know, being a traitor. So this is justified. Killing, you know, someone that I love. You killed someone that I love. That's more important to me than these laws. You know, that's, there's an argument for that to be made too. So really good moral conundrum there. By the uh, way. I hope the show delves deeper into it. I, I had kind of a dark thought just now of way, where things might go. I feel like. Couple times, uh, Brienne has said something to the effect of, "There's nothing worse than not being able to protect the ones you love." Mm. And she has this oath and this vow to save Sansa. Mm. I wonder if Sansa might die. I wonder if she's going to fail. What do you? Th- and yeah, not be able to protect Sansa. That's actually my next question for you. Do you think at this point, with the information you have at this point, do you think Brienne will succeed in rescuing Sansa, or in taking revenge on Stannis? <laughs> we'll do. You can answer those separately. Uh. I, I, I've been pondering it a lot. There's so many ways it could go down. It's a tough <laughs> question. It's a tough question to ask. Kind of put you on the spot there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I there's I, I've gone through a bunch of sort of if thens, and I and and a lot of times I try to think about the most likely based on the personalities of the characters, but I don't even know which character is going to be involved. In fact, finding out that Shireen and Sleese are going with Stannis to the Wall makes me think she, that Stannis is going to that. Uh, Shireen's going to get sacrificed. You know, that's like a fear that I have. Sometimes I think about, well, what's the most tragic thing? Because that's, that's got to be a, a, a high consideration. Uh, what would be the worst thing they could do here? And a lot of times I think about what's the thing that could be, I don't know how to say this, but from a, a literary standpoint, what would make the most sense of storylines, how they're going to tie together symbols and foreshadowing that have been given. And uh, I... Also, it kind of depends on how long this gets drawn out, because I, I, I feel like, as a rule of thumb in Game of Thrones, just because you're a main character or a good character doesn't mean you're going to win or even live 
Mm, right? That is not how it works. But I also <laughs> don't necessarily expect the end of the whole story to be all the good main characters die tragically. You know, no. I don't I don't necessarily that would expect be realistic that. either. Right, yeah. right. So uh, I can see if it goes long enough you know maybe sansa ends up as wordiness of the north you know but could happen i can also see her dying i can see i could can happen i can see miranda <laughs> killing her i can see could happen uh <laughs> ramsey killing her could happen <laughs> um, there are uh I, i've also thought about what i want to happen <laughs> you know uh Fair and enough to also, throw that out there. We know we probably won't get exactly what we want. but There's also <laughs> other things, too, that I, I I guess we'll probably talk about a little bit here, but Bran and Rickon are still alive, and it may not come into play this season, but I, I wonder if it will come into play because Sansa dies, and then they're like, oh, wait, no, there's still another Stark. Or if it'll <laughs> come into play because Sansa marries Ramsay, but, oh, that doesn't matter because there's still another Stark. Or so many different ways that could play out, and... I, I, my, my fear that a likely thing to happen is two or three characters I like are going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard to imagine all of our favorites making it to the end. The only way that could happen is if you have no favorites. Or if you have one yeah. favorite. Because you have one favorite, that, that one person might make it. <laughs> <laughs> but you're kind of putting all your eggs in one basket, aren't you? Yeah, but I can see maybe Davos presenting that argument about Stannis to Brienne. Mm-hmm. Brienne not accepting it, killing Davos. Ooh. That's, that's Please don't thing. kill Davos. Yeah, I, that's the thing I can see happening. I think Davos might be my to- my my number one favorite character. Really? Yeah. yeah. I have a hard time picking. Uh, I've yeah, that's about why it I said before, might be. It's really hard. Especially if I, I, I feel like when you pick main characters, you kind of need to distinguish between, uh, I don't know how to say this, primary characters and yeah. s- I, I, even secondary. I feel like there's tertiary characters too. Uh, I, I, it's hard to say who is what, you know. Right, because partly when you're picking a main character, it's going to be largely influenced by how much screen time they've had, how many yep. lines they've had, how much the story is connected to them, how much background you've gotten on them. And so characters like John and Sansa and Arya, who've been around, who get scenes almost every episode, da da da. But then there's, a, and among them, I'll say I think that Sansa is my favorite character. Okay. Then there's characters, and it might be harder to distinguish quite between secondary and tertiary, but a combination of how long they've been around. Uh, like some characters that might be your favorite died in season one, and, and they, they're not still around for you to be thinking about or considering. Um, whereas some characters have only been around for one season, but they're in your face right now, so you're, they might be higher on your list. you know. But I think of the, uh, the second-tier characters, second and third-tier, I'll say, characters that are still around. I think Braun is my favorite mm. down there with Jamie. But uh, but it's a lot of tough decisions. It's you know I I, I do also like Stannis a lot, and he's definitely mm-hmm. one of my favorites. And uh, right on. I love Sandor a lot, and he's not around anymore. But yeah. uh, anyway, a tangent. Sorry. Uh, That's okay. It's uh, all related. It's all my, good. I can I can imagine Theon killing Ramsay. That's another thing I can I, I can see that easily happening. It's Theon killing Ramsay. That Theon just not being able to handle it. Like. Wanted to sell Sansa that he didn't really kill the boys. Sansa maybe being tortured by Ramsay and he just can't, Theon just can't handle seeing that. I can see him being pushed too far. And I feel like maybe not, they, they, that seems to be what Ramsay did is just take away who he used to be. But I just don't think he really did. I don't think he completely <laughs> did it. I think we see shame in Theon around Sansa. Yes. And I, I agree. think that could boil over to him just. 
stabbing Ramsey in the back when he's got Sansa in some torture chamber. Before we had Theon obeying completely, but there was no one pulling him in any other direction. Now he's confronted face-to-face with something, an object of guilt for him, referring to Sansa as an object, but still. So let's talk about these Winterfell scenes. This is a lot of very interesting stuff. This is a very big focus of the episode. We start with Miranda and Ramsay. Which is kind of, I think there's some irony in this scene. Miranda talking about acting jealous and Ramsey's, you know, kind of threatening her. Well, not kind of, definitely, <laughs> definitively threatening her with, you're not going to bore me, are you? You know what happens to people who bore me. He does, he's bored by jealousy. And then he gets jealous in a few scenes later <laughs> when he finds out that Lady Walda is pregnant and he gets real petulant and makes all these crass jokes. And <laughs> so it's kind of ironic there that, that Ramsey is, is uh, being a hypocrite. But the scene was interesting. It was an interesting uh, bit of power dynamics there. Miranda kind of brings herself back out of it and behaves the way Ramsey wants her to, I suppose, and kind of plays nice. But then she goes out and gets real creepy with Sansa, like, touching her. It's like, oh, the stitching. And I was trying to, like, kind of needle her a little bit about, oh, who made this for you? You know, and all this other stuff. And kind of bringing up some of the bad things that have happened to her. And then shows her Theon. And, yeah, that was... I was at first, when the scene started, I was like, don't go in there. <laughs> don't, don't listen. Why would you do what Miranda wants you to do? This woman hates you. <laughs> don't go in there. She's totally jealous of you. But it was just the Theon. It wasn't. Of course, like, oh, it was like, it t- took me about halfway through. It's like, oh, Theon, of course. That's what's going on here. I should have realized that right away. What did you think of, what did you think of Sansa's reaction in the moment there from, from both their perspectives? It didn't occur to me that it was going to be Theon until the moment it was Theon. I, I was definitely, several thoughts were going through my head. One was, uh, 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 one quick thought I had was like, it's pretty bold of Sansa to walk in and all those dogs. I don't, wait, wait, Sansa used to have a wolf as a pet. Oh, Sansa used to walk in here. As a, she's faced worse stuff. This isn't that, that yeah, bad. Yeah, I mean, those, the, the kennels uh, were there. When it, those were, that's the Winterfell yeah, kennels. The, you know? Yeah. It, it, it's her home. She's been around Direwolves. She's been around Joffrey. She can walk down this corridor. As she <laughs> says in, later, in the later scene, this isn't strange for me. This is my home. It's yes, the people who yeah, are strange. Yeah. And speaking so, of strange people. Miranda as she was, and Theon. but as they were definitely building suspense, and I was, you know, what what could be, what dreadful thing could this be? And I thought it was gonna be like Caitlin's head on a stake or oh. something like that. You know, that's <laughs> what I was worried about. And I was also wondering, was Miranda doing this on her own, or is this was Theon putting it up? It seemed as though. She did it on her own because later on, the although who knows, not the on uh, Ramsey. Ramsey, who knows what and why Ramsey's going to say things that Ramsey might have put her up to this still, but um, surely she Ramsey couldn't have thought to keep Theon out of her sight the whole right. time. I mean, that that never seemed very realistic, and you it might have made any, it, putting the effort towards that, and either. it might have been a mood to make Miranda happy too. Like, I tell you what, Miranda, go tell, go show Sansa Theon Stark, you know. <laughs> uh, but I can also imagine Miranda doing it maybe to, like, push Theon's button. Uh, I keep saying Theon. Push Ramsey's buttons. <laughs> Although, I don't... Uh, Miranda's got a death wish if that's the case. You know, I, yeah. I, the more I think about it, the more I think she was doing it under Ramsey's direction. She uh, could have, yeah. But she might, if she was doing it on her own, I could see it either way. I could see her doing it under Ramsey's direction. I could see her doing it on her own. Uh, I'm not sure it matters a lot, but we'll, we'll probably find out. It's a bit of an interesting love triangle. Not really a triangle, considering Sansa doesn't love anyone there at this point although she is aware that someone out there is trying to protect her the whole the old woman presumably this is delivering Brienne's message of you know yeah. light a candle in the tower yeah. he's like I don't know 
that's not the best way to avoid danger. Like, oh yeah, let me hang on. I gotta go to, to the, the top tower. tower. Get light a candle so yeah. everyone can see. Yeah, if I'm in danger, yeah, I'm surely if Ramsey's got you, you know, about to torture you. Hold on, Ramsey. Hold that torture <laughs> off for a second. Let me go light a candle. Just give me a second. Yeah, I don't know. That. <laughs> Brienne's gonna have to do a little better than that. But it's good that she sent a message to let Sansa know. Like, it probably at least makes Sansa feel better. Gets her hopes up. Maybe makes her feel like she's not as isolated, not as alone. There's someone out there that cares for her. And of course, the, the serving people are. All about that. Saw the certain. It's possible it's independent too. By the way, it's possible that the people independent of Brienne are making some effort. That to might not have been Brienne's message. Yeah, I, I thought I assumed it was, but it didn't. Ha- it doesn't have to be. So before Brienne showed up, that woman said, "Hey, you saw friends in the north." Yeah, you know, that's so. true. Uh, yeah, you're right. That was the North remembers. That was one of the first things that happened when she got to Winterfell. No, certainly before Brienne got there. And we didn't even see how Brienne got there. She said she'd go around Mo Kalen. I don't know how she did that, but she just. Got there. She's in. She's near Winterfell somehow. But again, the show takes a few liberties with travel. But eh, I don't mind that too much. It's a, It's. It's not really. It's, it's not really exciting or all that interesting to to have people travel yeah. on a TV <laughs> show. So I wish that it was a little more realistic. But I don't mind that in general that they don't pay a lot of attention to that because it isn't exactly all that. It's not the most entertaining thing. So. Let's talk about Theon and Ramsay. This 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 uh, location of Winterfell, as with all the locations, this thing, there are a lot of different one-on-ones and two-on-ones and, and, and short scenes, or not short scenes, but scenes with individuals at the same location. So we had a series of different scenes here that kind of went through a, a different process. Theon and Ramsay together, whew, scene was just really, had me on edge. Um, I personally, as someone with a musical background and a mother has a musical background, it's anything that deals with maiming the hands always makes me uncomfortable. And man, I, it was almost worse that, that he forgave him. When he said, I forgive you, I almost felt more creeped out. Like I didn't want to see graphic hand mutilation on screen, but I really, but I forgive you. It was somehow just, just as chilling. I was like, wow, that was a really good scene. Ewan Rian is a great actor. His facial expressions, his 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 like maniacal humor, especially in the following scene with the family dinner thing, he just he killed it. This episode, great acting. And it's funny because he, as a human being, as a person, as an actor, is like, "Whoa, my character is such a crazy evil guy." He really makes him uncomfortable how evil he is. And I don't I don't, I don't think we've seen the worst yet. I, whatever, there's got to be more bad things coming. Ramsey hasn't really done anything terrible this season. This is bad. <laughs> he's plenty of terrible it's hard things. to see much worse than what he's done to Theon. <laughs> yeah, so it's just like, well, what's he going to do next? And we just, I thought we were about to see what he was about to do next, and he didn't quite do it yet. Well, I guess he, I'm sorry, he's taking it back. people alive. He skinned, uh, he skinned the Serwins. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, that, that just happened off we screen. We didn't see it. Yeah. I, I take that back. He, that definitely happened, but we just didn't see it. We saw the, the flayed corpses, which was pretty graphic, but technically we didn't see any There's so many on different ways for Ramsey <laughs> to be terrible. Last season, this season, on screen, off screen. <laughs> he's got the whole thing covered he is he's got the he's a terrible master we move on to that family dinner scene which was possibly my favorite scene of the episode even though it was so you know it was so crooked and wrong and (laughs) but not from a like production or acting standpoint or writing even it was good in, in terms of tv the another little Mother's Day reference there. Ramsey calls uh, Lady Walda mother, and then they eventually talk about the, the birth of a child or a pending birth of a the child. There's a little bit of Mother's Day action thrown in there. And Ramsey makes a toast to the binding of the bloodline. Sansa does not drink. She sets the wine cup right back down, does not accept the toast. 
And that's when she delivers her, it's the people who are strange line. She is not holding back. I mean, she's not like, just, you know, openly insulting them, but she's clearly not it's participating. Close she can get without, yeah. Yeah. She's like doing that kind of courteous rejection and, and uh, <laughs> yeah. being kind of keeping her cool, but definitely not you know, playing along either. <laughs> Especially when she had a chance to needle Ramsey when, when, when the whole notion of the birth came up. She looked at him, saw that he was disconcerted and was like... I'm so pl- pleased for you. <laughs> you know, congratulations and all she that. She gave like a little subtle little smile. And Ramsey like flustered and drank his wine. I... Yeah. So here's a quick, another uh, watching her question. Tobin Irwin asks, what do the Boltons think Sansa knows about the Red Wedding? What do they think? What From there, we know that Sansa knows that Roose was responsible, partly responsible, because she said so directly to Littlefinger. What do the Boltons think? Do you have any thoughts on that? What, are they, what do you think their perspective is? I'm assuming they know that she knows. I... I... I've gotten to feel that everyone knows. I wish I could be more specific about moments, but I, I feel like there were several times when people just knew. And uh, but there's what are we gonna do? Is kind of the thing. So yeah, I they might be counting on Sansa just being helpless. They're like, what is this thirteen yeah. year old girl gonna do if we? You know, why, why is she a threat to us? You know? One, I was a little surprised that Sansa was so snippy and sassy with them. I thought she would play <laughs> the game a little better, but maybe it's. Not as easy, you know. Ramsey's not that much different from Joffrey, you know what I mean. So maybe it's not easy to play the game with a character like that. But uh... yeah, the forced apology was really, really an awkward moment there. And it, but it also brought in, it also led to the 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 idea that Theon is kind of the closest thing she has to kin around there, which yeah. is tying into what you were saying before about maybe Theon wanting to help Sansa, and if he's that means they're going to be maybe seeing each other a little more or, or having more to talk about a little bit or maybe not. But it's, it certainly puts them in a position of, of a little bit more closeness and maybe supports the idea of, of Theon helping Sansa in some way or another, either helping her kill Ramsay or helping her escape or a number of different possibilities. You know, a couple, something we could be seeing this season is a couple more weddings. If Danny's going to marry his daughter and Sansa's going to marry Ramsay, those could be like pending moments those could both uh, happen as soon as the next episode yeah, in fact. yeah it may not happen that quickly but the way the show the show is moving quickly there's a lot of some these of the weddings have been bigger scenes than others you know like i feel like tom and marjorie's wedding was like a scene 30 seconds yeah. or whatever yeah, nothing, whereas other joffrey too dark and, happened there. Yeah. <laughs> the joffrey wedding was like a whole you know like a big part the of the whole episode, episode yeah and uh the red wedding was a pretty much a whole episode too but yes. so they they might be extended. They might put them together. There might be quick scenes. I'm not sure, but uh, I think they're thing reasonable to expect to come soon here. Yeah, technically, of course, the interesting thing about Theon being the closest quote unquote closest Ken is that obviously Bran and Rickon are still out there, and so is John. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> although he was only a half or stepbrother in the first place and yeah. is giving up vows like he actually, yeah, yeah. it's fair to not count him there's no way john's gonna come give away sansa no right <laughs> <laughs> not gonna happen uh, so uh you know another thought that i had there just thinking about sansa there betrothed to ramsey here and she was to joffrey before and both times very clearly for her and to some extent for other characters too like there was talk of having Arya getting married and cersei's marriage to robert and on and on and on a lot of times getting married is like going to prison you know like <laughs> yeah. it's a, mm-hmm. it's a prison sentence in these patriarchal societies especially for the woman well almost always it's for the woman yeah yeah but, and this is definitely seeming like being a sansa is kind of effectively a prisoner of the boltons and, and her husband's a psychopath yeah, yeah that is very and much i guess some... she kind of knew it too she that's why she didn't want little finger to leave her there yeah but uh maybe and on one hand i think maybe she is or would or could be okay with it for the sake of revenge 
But it seems like if she has some plot of getting revenge, she needs to get on her good side. She can't be quite as disrespectful or insubordinate or whatever she seems to be so far. Well, I think Ramsey, I think she's not doing it too bad because Ramsey... Ramsey might be too caught up in himself well. to not notice or care. He, he, I'm just going to dominate this stupid girl anyway. I don't care. I think he sort of expects that. But Roos, I feel like he's... I, I really like... I don't like Roos. <laughs> he's a terrible person. <laughs> but they're presenting him very well. I think he chose the right moment like to, to, to put Ramsey in check there. <laughs> Ramsey's yeah. going on and on. This whole thing. It's, it's, you, it was, you, you shamed yourself in there. <laughs> no, well, before that, at oh, the, at oh, the okay. dinner even... Uh, which, by the way, again, it was a good job by uh, the actor that plays Ramsey. That it was that one moment was like, whoa, it was getting really tense there. Yeah, like, <laughs> now well, that that's that over, tense. now it's not tense anymore. <laughs> Let's eat, you know. Like, and, uh, that was he, really good, yeah. When he proposes the, the Dion give him away, and, and he's like looking for, cool, is that cool, everyone? Dad, wife, is <laughs> that like, cool? And finally, like, yes, Roots, yes. Roots butts in. He's like, fine, that's fine. Let's talk about something else now. (laughs) Something that's going to make you unhappy. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, since we're all together, my wife is pregnant. Yeah. Mm. He he, he put Ramsey in check. Because once again, remember I thought a couple episodes last or sometime recently, Ramsey was like eating. And Roos was like, stop eating and listen to me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I made you my son. I thought you were going to be better than this. Chill out for a second here, you know. And I feel like he, he had to do that again with Ramsey there. Uh, and we get a sense, too, of, 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 of in terms of the Sansa-Ramsey dynamic, we see from the scene with Miranda, it actually gives us a bit of an insight as to how it might go with Sansa and what, what kind of behavior will work with Ramsey. When she was fighting back a little, when she bit his lip, and when she was like, I, you know, no, I won't be, he, she, he responded positively to that. Yeah. Right? So that's Sansa's way. If Sansa is a little bit, kind of can tap into his personality and get at the things that he likes and gets it, you know, Taps into the things that he can, you know, respect. Strengths might if she be acts one. weak, if she's all meek and weak, that's going to be the kind of boring that I think. Meek that... and weak might be, but disrespectful, he's not going to go for that either. She may need to show yeah. strength, but not disrespect. She doesn't want to insult him. She can dis- She doesn't want to, like, refer to his bastardy. That that would oh, be, I that think that would be the bad. wrong yeah, play. Yeah. But I think if she uh, challenges him and, you, know, challenge, you know, says things like, you know, are you good enough for this? Or can you live up to this? You like how, you know, you have to prove that you're that kind of thing. She might, she, she has a chance to manipulate him, I think. Yeah. Um, Whether she figures it out. Uh, she has to know. do it right. And I think Marjorie we got, figured out how to manipulate Joffrey. And yeah. Tyra, but Marjorie's true. better than Sansa. She's older and she has the age advantage, whereas Ramsey is, yeah. this is the terrible tables are turned as far as the ages in this case. Ramsey is the much older one in this case. But he's never really come across anything like Sansa. You know, he, like he said, he was, his most of his life, he was expecting to marry some commoner because he was a bastard himself, and now you know, his thing has changed. You know, he's like, that's what he even tells her that he's like, I meant that, and I believe him. I believe he meant it at the time when he told Miranda that he would marry her. You know, he wasn't expecting to ever be a Bolton, and I believe that too. But he is a Bolton now, and he has to maintain this dynasty, as he said. And I, I I'm not saying I, <laughs> I approve all this, but I, I'm, I do think it's logically consistent from Ramsay's point of view, and. So it'll be interesting to see, very interesting to see how that plays out. How much is Sansa going to be able to use her wiles and her nobility against him? And whether that will work or whether he'll just be like, look, I'm a brute. And I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to go full psychopath or whether she's able to, you know, because he can be manipulated. We've seen how his father can, you know, really bring yeah. him down. And how, and how. But his can... father seems to be pretty much the only one. You know? So far. So yeah. far. 
Well, it'll be, yeah, it remains to be seen if someone else can do that. And Sansa is, if anyone can do it, Sansa's got the opportunity. Ramsey's already pointed out that he's, he's like, yeah, of course she's pretty. I have eyes, you know. So <laughs> yeah. that proves that, that at least shows that she's got something on him. And, and we've already seen that she's capable, or at least developing the capability to talk and to be, to use her abilities as a thinker and as a uh, political player to do some things and i'm really looking forward to seeing her continue along that path and seeing how she is able to do these things with ramsey and i hope she comes out on top <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Roos and ramsey and their scene uh ramsey of course is is still petulant at the beginning of the scene he's making basically making fat jokes you know how did you find how did you impregnate her how do, can you tell that she's pregnant and then Roos just basically cuts him down and, and says, you embarrassed yourself in there. And, oh, you're worried about your position. It's clear that I'm your son until a better alternative comes along. And so Roos gives the, the story of Ramsey's mother. What did you think about that? About the story of his... It was awful. I <laughs> yeah, mean, it was uh, pretty awful. Yeah. I, uh, in fact, that's something I wanted to talk about a little bit, was uh, I think there's two different sets of three characters in the show that have a lot of similarities, but also... I guess one of them has, one set has some more important distinctions. Viserys, Ramsay, and Joffrey. I think all three of them are sort of like sadistic, corrupt, spoiled, dark, evil, mean, self-centered, da 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 And uh, they've all kind of like had their moments on the show. They, 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 it's someone for us to love to hate. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they play a role in the series. And uh, characters like that... Don't last long. They get themselves killed. Um, mm-hmm. But they, the show has a good job of like replacing them, if you will. Stannis, Tywin, and Roos, <laughs> I think, have similarities, but important distinctions. All three of them are very cold, calculating patriarchs. Yes. Um, and fairly but they, ruthless. Ruthless, yes. Uh, but there are some distinctions, uh, and I think they also have their own sort of. Tywin's missing a sense of humor, <laughs> or at least a presentation of such. Because in the same way that Stannis gets his little wry remarks in, I, I think Roos gets them too. I, I, I love the line when Roos said, I'm sure you're familiar with the procedure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, was, that was so good. That was really good. Uh, but um, I think that Roos seems to be somewhat ambitious, as Tywin seems clearly very ambitious. I don't think Stannis is particularly ambitious. Uh, I think at this point where he's supposed to be the king, he's going to be the king. But he wasn't, like, going to be the king before. He's just he's doing what is supposed to be done. Oh, I'm supposed to be king now. I'm supposed to, I'll be king now. He's more supposed, proud than ambitious. I'm supposed to defend yeah. his castle. I'll defend his castle. You know, he's doing whatever he's supposed to be done. Um, I don't think he's actively ambitious like the other two are. And he's not corrupt. I think that right. on some level or another, Tywin and uh, Roos are corrupt. But although... I. Corrupt isn't quite the right word I want to use, but uh, I'm going to say corrupt with power. They just are, don't have a sense of morality. They, they mm-hmm. Or whatever they have, it's to the extent that it's going to maneuver them through the world, not so much as what they think morality should be for the world. Does that make sense? Yes. They have a different morality than everyone else because of their power, whereas I feel like Stannis follows the same morality that everyone else has despite his power. Um I don't know. Those are these are new thoughts, kind of swirling in my mind, because I think the, the the characters are so similar, but I do think they have important distinctions, and I've been kind of like thinking about that recently, especially this episode, because we get a lot of Stannis and Roos and kind of heading toward each other. I had an interesting 
possible alternate interpretation of what happened in this Ramsey and, and Roos scene. Roos kind of uh, assuages Ramsey's fears about being set aside. Uh, he says, no, look, you're my son, blah, blah, blah. But I think he may have had an ulterior motive. He may be telling the truth, but he immediately following that asks, he's like, are you going to help me fight Stannis? And he's like, yes, I'm going to help you fight Stannis. If he had, if he had said something like, oh, no, you might be set aside for this new son. Are you going to help me fight Stannis? <laughs> Whatever, like, Dad. Well, yeah. you have to make you promise that I'm your first son, you know. Yeah. So, I'm, uh, yeah, the cynic in me, especially considering who is speaking, which Ruth Bolton, you never can be too sure. He may have just been, you know, trying to set his son up a little bit. Telling for, Ramsay what he wants to hear. Yeah, telling Ramsay what he wants to hear and keeping his mind. Like, I don't know. I, I'm not saying that Roos is absolutely planning on setting Ramsay aside, but he's open to the idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the more I think about it, I think you're right. So there's, that's a, and then we have our, the, the ending of that scene kind of, it's a kind of a, a villain's moment where they're kind of, it kind of camera cuts out and is like, the North is ours. <laughs> well, you helped me fight for it. And, you know, it's like the candles and the way they angle the camera it really looked like a couple of supervillains, like, scheming over something with the music, too. Not that it was cheesy, but it really just felt that like that kind of moment. And I kind of appreciated that, even though it was a little, maybe a little too far with the villain aspect. Because when you, when you paint characters as villains, it, it takes a little bit away of, from the grayness, even though they clearly are very villainous. Um, but it makes you think that... It makes me think that they're less of a factor than they would be if they're just everyone's just playing in the game you know right yeah. so so that's a you know a bit of i like the scene but i have that's a mild criticism there so um do you have any more thoughts on roos and ramsey oh that's, that's about it i think for this okay episode. so let's let's uh we're gonna do we're gonna do our credits and i wanted to remind people that after these credits we're gonna talk about the the trailer about the scenes on the next on we're going to talk about that for a few minutes because we have time we often don't have time at the end of these episodes because we need to keep them at under two hours so folks i want to thank our patreon supporters hand of the king lord cash craig aka vaxis on the history of westeros forums our warden of the north is lord parker the bastard of starkville we do not have a warden of the south east or west our master of coin is lord robert jacobs our master of whispers is lord james the scholar Grandmaster Itai wears the jeweled collar of many medals. Rosie the Clever is our Master of Laws, and Lord James Tuttle is our Master of Ships. The History of Westeros Night's Watch Lord Commander is George the Golden. The History of Westeros Kingsguard is commanded by Lord Commander Shepard. Sir Troy the Steady swings the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate as the History of Westeros King's Justice. Lady Dyrliz of Castle Naki and Lord Nathan of the Fire Fort provide valuable lordly support and advice to the realm. If you're like me, you really enjoy audiobooks. If you are a show-only watcher and have been considering re getting into the series but find the thought of reading and have, setting aside that much time for what are clearly very large books intimidating, well, I have a suggestion. Try audiobooks. If you haven't already tried audiobooks, this is a great time to start. Check out A Game of Thrones on audio. That might be the best way for you to intake that to read it, so to speak, without having to commit as much time because you can listen while you're commuting. You can listen while you're going to work. You can maybe even listen while you're at work. You can listen while you're getting your exercise or doing housework. It really works out really well. This is what I do. This is one of the things that has gotten me uh, to increase my level of knowledge about the series is by listening to the books frequently. So go to historyofwesteros.com. On the right side, you'll see a link to... Do a 30-day free trial on audible.com. That will come with one free download. 
download a Game of Thrones, try it out. If you don't like it, cancel the subscription. You you've spent zero and you've gotten a free copy of Game of Thrones on Audible. So win-win, you support the show. You might be a big windfall for you. You might discover that you love listening to the books and that'll set you up for just days, literally days and days and days of entertainment. So I strongly suggest at least trying that out. Now again, keep sending us questions and suggestions. Uh, really enjoying the feel of all the interaction. So keep those coming. So if you are not interested in hearing the trailer discussion, this is where we sign off. So Valar Morgulis to you folks. But if you want to hear us talk about what's coming up, stay tuned. Next on, we have Arya, almost certainly in the next episode. We have a lot of scenes of Arya. We have a, a line of, is a girl ready to give up her identity? She's going farther down this path of having to become no one. And she's kind of walking towards some door, like it's ominous, like there's something behind it. Do you have any thoughts on what's coming up for Arya? I'm not sure, although I do expect to see Arya in the next episode. There's a lot of stuff we didn't see in this past episode. Um, yeah, I was really kind of expecting her to be. This will only be her third appearance out of, you know, in six episodes. Yeah. She'll only appear in half of them. I kind of waffle on, uh, on watching the previews for the next week because sometimes I don't want to be tainted by what they're telling me is going to happen I as agree. I think about it. And this time I watched it. Sometimes I'm like, pause, rewind, pause. Hey, Zeus, what's this? Pause. Uh, <laughs> Uh, sometimes I don't watch it at all. This time I watched it one time, so it's not all clear in my mind. I just do remember there were images of King's Landing and of Arya. And I, what I sort of expect uh, is sort of a slow roll for Arya. The the thing that might be different there is if, which I would be a little excited about, but I don't really expect it. I, I, I sort of expect us to see Arya slowly become a faceless man mm. and eventually reach this decision of whether or not she's really going to do it or not and she'll have to make a decision about needle you know what i mean um but i don't know i don't think it's gonna be next episode it's gonna be like second to last or last episode okay. um but the thing that might go different than what i expect that i would be kind of hopeful for is if mace and trant show up there <laughs> and if that is part of her decision if she has the opportunity to kill Marin trant that's the thing that I think. If she has lost her identity, she shouldn't be going. Well, I don't care, her. right? But, but if, if she's still in the process of losing her identity, and shows mm -hmm. up. It might be a dilemma for. Her. I don't think that'll happen next episode, but that's something I think would be neat to see. Yeah, uh, we also have. I agree with that take. That's really good. We also have scenes from Dorne. Not no, we don't see Jamie or Bronn, but we do see the Sand Snakes kind of on the move with Alaria. We hear some voiceovers about a Lannister and a Martell, and we see Marcella getting a flower from Tristane, which shows that they're. You know, having a, some sort of legitimate romance, perhaps. Or at least that is strongly suggested. It, it is not confirmed. And so we can expect to see more of that. It's it's really hard to see where that plot line is going. It's so early in that. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. But I honestly don't mind less plot line and more character development as far as that goes. <laughs> I think Doran, am I saying it right? Uh, Doran, yeah. Uh, is an intriguing character that we know almost nothing about, and I, I, I wanted to learn more about him, and I'm sure there'll be some plot development attached to it, but I, I'm happy to hear him tell a story about his father or his relationship with his brother or giving counsel to his son or something like that. Uh, I don't know if they'll go so far as to start developing Tristan and Marcella as characters too. I'm not sure. It, it might add extra intrigue if Jamie shows up to save Marcella, and she's like, I don't want to go. I'm in love, you know? Like, <laughs> it does seem kind of, it might, that might be headed exactly that way. If Marcella falls for Tristane, and it's sort of hinted at that that's looking like it might happen. Yeah. For all we know, Marcella is going to be like, this dude is gross. You know, she's just playing along <laughs> like playing Sansa. Game, like, I, yeah, to, like yeah. what choice do I have? But we also are going to return to King's Landing. We will not have two in a row episodes without King's Landing, considering how rare it is to not have King's Landing at all. Well, we're going to see Olena 
That's cool. The Queen of yes. Thorns looks to be returning. We see a shot of her. She doesn't look happy, nor nor would we expect her to be, considering what's happening to her grandson. Speaking of her grandson, we also see him being wrestled to the ground in front of Tommen, with the High Sparrow standing behind as if he's sort of overseeing stuff, like he's overpowering Tommen even. Tommen seems to be kind of powerless in this, in this brief glimpse. And we also see Littlefinger stopped by Lancel yeah. in the streets or something. But we also see Littlefinger... Speaking with Cersei and how she's questioning him about the loyalty of the Vale and about his loyalty. And my prediction that he might be getting offered a high position like Hand of the King might be coming true there. I feel a little stronger about that. Uh, so what do you think, first backing up a, bit, a little bit, what do you think about the situation with Loras and Olena and Marjorie? They they've, they've clearly have returned. Marjorie's also in, that, in, the, in the trailer. Yeah, I, I'm sort of supposing Loras will be put on some sort of trial, probably... For sure, there's no way he could win, you know. Maybe it'll be some kind of bargain. Maybe he can win by some sort of bargaining tool. Like, yeah. I don't know if... He's not a Kingsguard, right? That was like a threat that Cersei had, but... That, oh, that Tywin threatened Olenna to make him a Kingsguard. Yeah. yeah. Which oh, would Tywin, be... not Cersei. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I don't know. Uh, th- yeah, there's a lot to speculate, and... Um, it's I, I'm mostly excited to see Olenna's character, because mm-hmm. she always has the yeah, greatest interactions. Yeah. yeah, she's always got great dialogue, so we're looking forward to that. Now, with Cersei and Littlefinger, that's really interesting. He's, she's pressing him to declare his loyalty and declare the loyalty of the Vale. As things really come to a head, she's, she's looking to make sure her allies, she's looking for new allies and looking to make sure she keeps her old allies. And one suggestion that from a listener uh, watching her, to use my own term here, Aker Frey suggests that maybe Cersei is bringing Littlefinger to town simply to throw him to the High Sparrow as like an offering. Say, look, this is the guy running all these brothels. Like, I'm handing him over to you. You know, look how good of a, you know, look how good devout I am. Look how good I am as a ruler. I'm doing the things that Faith wants. That is sort of at odds with her wanting to have the veil on her side. That certainly, (laughs) I don't think those two things work together so well. But I can imagine idea. I can imagine that being a thing that Cersei didn't think it all out. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. And uh, or maybe it even could be the type of thing where little maybe Littlefinger doesn't want to be hand of the king because I've mm-hmm. got my own thing going on. She's like, look, you're gonna be hand of the king, or I'm gonna turn over the high sparrow. Or maybe she wants him to be go back to be master of coin, not oh, be hand of the king. Yeah. And Littlefinger's like, what? I'm not gonna be. Oh yes, you are. You know. Yeah, right? he's gonna have a hard time refusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He does not have an army. He doesn't even have guard like personal guards or anything like that. So I, I also wonder, yeah, like the, with Lancel costing him in the street like that, I wonder what kind of danger he could be in. That, that scene may come after his stuff with Cersei. And right, yeah, the, the fate, order of the, thing, the clips we saw. Yeah, the trailer could be a little tricky editing there. They may be trying to show us <coughs> excuse me, one thing and, and make us think another. So the last thing we are seeing, or we are shown, rather, is Bolton's in the snow. That might be a prelude to them marching off to go to war with Stannis. Now, one thing about that is if they go marching off to go fight Stannis, they're not going to leave the wedding for the wedding for later. They'll get that out of the They'll way. They'll get that done first. They're not going to so leave. So it might yeah. be a quick ceremony. Yeah. yeah, it might be a quick ceremony. So we, we talked about the, po- the possibility of Sansa maybe trying to find a way to delay a wedding. That seems a little less likely now with, with the Bolton set to go marching relatively soon, apparently. 
So she may try to delay, but won't. Doesn't look. She may not be able to. She seemed to expect it to happen fast. Remember, she told Littlefinger. Yeah. Uh, you know, next time you see me, I guess I'll be a married woman. Yeah, I wonder if that's that'd be that'd be funny if it turned out to be her marrying someone else. <laughs> Somehow, <laughs> I don't know who, but yeah, maybe that is also some sort of foreshadowing, some yeah. sort of a. <laughs> Mis- misleading moment, some yeah. ir- irony that she doesn't end up getting married. Or maybe she she'll ne- maybe she'll never see Littlefinger. Again. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, <laughs> Ned was gonna tell John who his mom was the next time he talks to him again. So it's a good point. So, all right, folks, that is our show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks again to you, Sean, for joining us. And of course, folks, look out for our book to show review, which will be out within twenty four to forty eight hours of this one. Uh, where we will make lots of comparisons to the books and try to figure out what's happening based on the book plots and try to find out where they will combine plots and things like that. We always have a lot of fun with those, just as we always have a lot of fun with these show-only reviews. There's always so much to talk about. Game of Thrones is one of the most discussable things I've ever encountered in my entire life, and I'm so glad to be sharing it with you guys out there listening and watching again. Keep the feedback and questions coming. It's making the show better. It's a community effort. We're all making the show, our experience, an improved thing and having a good time along the way. So thanks again to everybody. And we will see you next time. Valar Morgulis. <laughs> <laughs>